Welcome to Pocketful of Grace, a weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Carolyn Hetrick, and I'm here with Pastor Scott Schull. Finally, after many weeks, you have returned. I'm back. Hey! This week is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, September 18th, 2022. In the season of growth, which is the color green in the sanctuary, we come to the latter weeks of what that growth means, including some challenging and even pruning lessons from Jesus. Earlier this year, we asked, in this time in our world and lives, perhaps, what does it mean to practice resurrection life? Now the lessons ask us to consider what it means to face the tensions of all-in discipleship. Pastor Shul, let's ground our time in the prayer of the day for this coming Sunday. Friends, let's pray. God among us, we gather in the name of your Son to learn love for one another. Keep our feet from evil paths. Turn our minds to your wisdom and our hearts to the grace revealed in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to focus us just a moment, if I could, in the prayer. That second sentence, turn our minds to your wisdom and our hearts to the grace revealed in your Son. Because I think in all of the readings that we're going to hear today, that is really what loving one another will be about, using God's wisdom rather than just our own, and and turning our hearts to grace, which is not always the way that we imagine it. Sometimes it seems rather shocking and scandalous, which we'll see in the gospel. There is a holistic nature of being a disciple that this prayer nicely brings out. Not only our minds are using our reason and our heart, engaging our soul, our love, but even before then, keep our feet from evil paths. Uh, It's not just what we believe or what we say, but also what we do that dictates uh, our our performance as disciples, our impact upon the world, uh, the way that we engage with Jesus. And through our feet and through our minds and through our heart, we help to bring God nearer, not only to those around us, but to us. And I've always found that when I have a heightened sense of God's nearness, I have a heightened sense of hope. And hope will get you through a lot of things. Well, I think we should focus for a minute on that word evil because I purposely skipped that sentence because it's often misunderstood. And so I'm wondering if we could just spend a moment. uh, What do we think that the prayer is getting at there in talking about evil? Well, the prayer of the day is contextual uh, insofar as it's relating and lifting up themes from the texts. And certainly when we get to uh, our Old Testament reading from Amos, Evil is personified in the way that it is um, oppression of the poor. Um, you know, evil evil takes a lot of forms, and you're right. That word can become used in ways that uh, are weaponized against people. But I think of evil generally in the way that we, we don't love one another or the ways that attempt to drive us away from God. Yeah. Or even I think we'll get to in a minute in Amos... Um, the ways that we practice deceit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the things that we'll hear sometimes in our confessional language is that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that might be a nice bridge for us to move into Amos. But uh, friends, if you remember uh, some of the language from from our liturgy and from the confession, remember that there are times when 
we say that if we, you know, we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And keeping that word sin and the word evil together is often helpful because I think, Pastor Shul, you've highlighted that it drives us to seeing the ways that we become separated Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. God and from one another. Right. Well, with that as our backdrop, um, here now the first reading for this coming Sunday, the eighth chapter of Amos, verses four to seven. Hear this, you the trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land saying, When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale? We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Wow. It's a tough one to read. The whole book of Amos is a tough one. Here is a prophet from the south called to go north, 8th century uh, before Christ, speaking to these people in the north who are totally exploiting the poor and the needy. There's no bother calling for repentance either in this book. It's just flat-out indictment of of what's happening, the trampling, the ruining, uh, the deceit. It's, uh, there, there, there are no punches being pulled here at all. You know, the, the thing that really struck me this time around uh, is what we see in verse 5. When will the Sabbath be over so we can go back to selling things? Yeah. And how easy it is to step away from Sabbath-taking and, and that's true in, in a lot of ways. And a couple of weeks ago, I preached about the Sabbath is not just about, you know, drag yourself to church, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it is about practicing the wholeness that God intends for us to experience yeah. together. Yeah. And how quick we are in, in this sense then to say, well, how long do I have to do that before I can go back to what I really wanted to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is that I don't want to to practice wholeness with anybody. I really want to go back to the patterns that are going to serve me best or serve Hmm. mine best. Um, And uh, the distinction between God's understanding of the arrangement of how we all live in creation and are mutually interdependent as opposed to an economy that is based solely upon, I got to get mine. Mm Mm-hmm. And how soon can I do that? Because I really don't want to have to do all these other things. And if I got my pair of sandals, I don't really care right. what happened to make them. Um, and if I am able to make a profit by selling something that's really subpar, like the sweepings of wheat, hmm. you know, which is basically like the dust on the floor. The leftovers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then all the better. Um, yeah. So it, it is, it's not an, ind- an indictment of economy. It is an indictment of a particular way of practicing an economy that that doesn't maintain wholeness. Well, you lifted up two important things there that I want to try to tie together. One was that Sabbath keeping is not so much a law of controlling us, but of unleashing us for wholeness. And you mentioned the economic exploitation that's happening here as well. And that too can be viewed like the Sabbath, as, uh, as God trying to free us from an obsession 
or a false god of profit. I mean, we all want to do well. We all want to have enough money to take care of our families and go places and do things. But when that becomes such a driving factor that it dehumanizes the people around you in your eyes, you end up dehumanizing yourself as well. And so these things are not only guardrails to protect the marginal, but they are, it, 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 it's God lifting up another way of life for us that truly is life and not uh, reducing us to mere uh, economic units. Someone once said to me, never be so focused on making a living that you forget to make a life. Hmm. And bound up in this economic language here in Amos, what we're hearing is not only what is this doing to the poor, which of course is the primary focus. God's heart is always for the poor. But ultimately, we all experience poverty when we don't allow ourselves the ability to participate in wholeness, where we find ourselves shackled to the schedules and the drive of always having to produce more and acquire more. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't realize the insidious nature of the poverty that we ourselves also experience in a different way. And none of us come out of this wealthy. And so um, God's saying here through the prophet language that can be very much spoken, you know, this morning as much as any other day. Mm-hmm. Um, have you looked at the balance of your life? Right. Have you looked at the balance of your life? And and that's when I see the last thing I want to say is that sense in the end of verse 5 that we practice deceit with false balances. On the one hand, that's about truly about scales and we're going to weigh the scales so that you thought yeah. you got a pound when you really didn't, but we got the price of it. But how often do we walk through life living with false balances? Yeah. And so there's something existential in there for everybody as well um, that ultimately is intended to turn our hearts to wisdom and our uh, our minds to wisdom and our hearts to grace, um, as we see in the prayer of the day. And ultimately to become truly human as God defines that, mm-hmm. which is more than just uh, our earning capacity. Yeah. And when we're trying to figure out how we're going to... Uh, achieve something better that makes us almost superhuman. It's when I remember the title of a book I liked by Kate Bowler recently, There's No Cure for Being Human. Mm. We are all only human, right? That's why uh, we need God to, to guide us. Well, how about if you lead us into the psalm? It's a praise psalm, which is nice. Yeah, we're going to do the entirety of the psalm here for the podcast uh, to maintain its integrity. You'll see a few uh, less verses in worship, but uh, we'll, we'll take it all in for the podcast. Psalm 113. Hallelujah. Give praise, you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be blessed from this time forth forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, let the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, God's glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who sits enthroned on high, but stoops to behold the heavens and the earth. The Lord takes up the weak out of the dust and lifts up the poor from the ashes, enthroning them with the rulers, with the rulers of the people. The Lord makes the woman of a childless house to be a joyful mother of children. Alleluia. I love the reversal language Mm. in this psalm. But before we get to it, we start out by remembering why that reversal is possible. 
And it's possible because of the work of the Lord. This psalm begins by reminding us who God is um, and why God is worthy of praise before we get into that reversal language. Yeah. Um, I get emotional with this psalm. When we took our class in seminary uh, on the psalms, our professor asked us to each pick a psalm and uh, memorize it, spend mm-hmm. time with it that entire semester. Mm-hmm. This is the one I picked because it's it's very personal to me. Uh, it says a lot about my youngest child, my son, who was born to a 14-year-old little girl in, in Mexico and was was going to be put into a dumpster um, because they were so impoverished. And his adoption was key to my call to ministry. And, uh, you know, we went there to, to rescue him, and, and in a way he rescued us. So when I read that language about um, the Lord takes up the weak out of the dust and lifts up the poor from the ashes, I see my son. Mm-hmm. And when I think about the woman of a childless house, my, you know, my, 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 my wife desiring this second child, here is uh, our Lord's mercy personified. And that played out for us in a very personal way, in a micro level, but this is, this is God's way throughout all of history. And it's, a, as you said, a beautiful psalm and promise of reversal, of mercy, of grace. And that God uses us yeah. for this to be embodied. Um, one of the things that can happen if we're not careful is that we hear all this language about what the Lord does and who the Lord is. And although God does not need us to do God's work, um, God wants to use us to continue to embody the work of God so that we remember we are all connected. Yeah. You know, so within the midst of this reversal and this language about God's power and God's compassion uh, is another way of drawing us in uh, and reminding us that um, whether we think that we have the upper hand in life or we think that we don't, we're all enthroned together at the same level because mm-hmm. of God's work and God's presence. And that compassion of God is made even more astonishing because as we read in verse four, the Lord is high above all nations, God's glory above the heavens. There's nothing about God that intrinsically demands God to reach down to us into that dust. It is entirely God's nature, God's love for us, despite being unlovable so often. Uh, It it, it truly is uh, amazing how much our great (laughs) high-in-the-sky God delights in uh, getting into the mud of life with us. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our reading from 1 Timothy. This is chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, There is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. 
For this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. There's a lot of talk here about intercessory prayer, isn't there, right at the beginning? I've been thinking a lot about that uh, lately. And sometimes I've wondered why it's necessary if God knows what everybody needs. And the conclusion, of course, is that it's necessary because it binds us together in special ways. When you pray for somebody, you can't help but walk in their shoes a little bit. You know, the other day I I, I was uh, checking in on somebody and uh, she expressed some needs to me. And I said, well, I'm going to pray for you. And I did. And the next day, I got a text from her and she said, your prayers really worked. I feel good enough to go to my doctor appointment today. Hmm. And I'll confess that my first reaction was embarrassment. I I was really afraid that she might think that my prayers had some certain special power about them. So I quickly texted back, well, give the credit and the glory to God if that prayer was answered. And I was talking about this with a friend later and and she said, you know, you might not want to jump too quickly to put all the credit on God. Sometimes God asks us to do things and we have the ability to say no. So, you know, allow yourself a little bit of credit for at least participating. So it's got me thinking about prayer as um, sort of a co-creation with God. Uh, yeah, God does the blessing, but, you know, maybe God is using prayer as a way of helping the rest of us uh, to, I guess, to love one another in, in ways that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. So part of what I want to pick up from this is um, that, that the writer here says, makes a point of saying that we pray for people who are in high positions so that we can live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. And that's not to suggest that people who are in those elevated positions, elected or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, are more deserving. But the truth is that those folks need our prayers because uh, the phrase goes heavy is the you know head that wears the crown, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so often I think about that we take it for granted that people who are in elevated positions um, don't need our prayers. Mm-hmm. And I think even especially if you are finding that you are somehow at odds with maybe the position that a given leader has taken about something, uh, why not pray? Yeah. Because, first of all, that person needs su- the support of prayer, the same as we all do, because we're all human. But it's also perfectly good to say, uh, Lord, I pray that you will touch the heart of this person so that we all can live a quiet and peaceable life. Yeah. I pray that you will help us to see the dignity in one another. Because it's easy for us in our, our everyday lives and the political side of our lives to not think about the fact that everyone is created in the image of God. Everyone is deserving of our prayers for them to know dignity and peace and godliness right. in their lives. Um, we can do that without agreeing with somebody. And I think about um, the late 
Queen Elizabeth now talking about how important her life of faith was across mm. this enormously long time of ruling. Yeah. And in her situation, she could not always make the decisions. All she could do was to try to care for the people in the midst of what other people decided to do. Yeah. And in the particular way that a monarchy exists in, in the United Kingdom. But praying for people who have difficult decisions to make, even when you don't agree with them, by your simply naming them on your lips, but in prayer and not in frustration or derision, helps to not only uh, maybe shape their hearts, but to shape our own as well. So we remember that we're all human beings, um, saint and sinner at the same time. This text and this discussion also strike at the heart of this notion of, uh, of God as this distant clockmaker who set things in motion and then went on permanent vacation. God is interested in all of the details of our lives at both the kingly level and uh, as we saw in, in Psalm 113, uh, the, the person in the dust. Uh, God has an interest in blessing us in all aspects of our lives, of our society, and of getting involved and part of that is, as Timothy is lifting up here, is prayer. Uh, but, you know, it also connects nicely to this beautiful notion in verse 4 that I think is reinforced throughout the New Testament. God desires everyone to be saved. This is not some celestial red rover game where you're, you're trying to call people out and can't wait to send some people away and, and, and bless others. Everybody is beloved by our Lord. Now, you know, there's, there's lots of debate uh, throughout Christian history as to what happens when we die, but there is no question what uh, outcome God desires more than any others, that everyone, everyone without exception, will be saved. Which is why it's above our pay grade. Yes. To say how that salvation will happen. Mm -hmm. I believe that God will save everyone that there will be no one left out of the kingdom. I don't know how that's going to happen. Right. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I take God at God's word that all will be around the throne because that's what scripture tells us elsewhere. And it is simply not my job to yep. try to discern anything about salvation except to proclaim that it is God's heart and desire for all peoples. And the more we can remember that, that's when we can see that language in the middle there in verse five, that the mediator of how that will be manifest is in Christ Jesus. That's the work of the cross. And there's nothing more powerful in the work of the cross, how it will play out um, and, and how it will be experienced by everybody. Uh, we don't have to know those details in its truth. The beauty of what you've just said, too, is attested by this last verse in our text here where, where Timothy said, look, I'm, I'm an apostle, and my job is just to tell everyone that God wants everyone to be saved, and Jesus Christ is the means by which it will happen. It really is that simple. Yeah, and I think the fact that it's hard for us to believe is why it says in parentheses, I'm telling the truth, yeah. I'm not lying. Because yeah. we're like, yeah, okay, you can say that, but I don't know. I don't think it's really going to happen that way. And I think you should get down to who's really in and who's really out. Yeah. You know? um, and, and I will say that, that you know, First Timothy is not one of my favorite books of Scripture because there are some parts of the epistle that I'm not a huge fan of. But at the same time, 
I appreciate the, the value of, of this particular piece. Yeah. Well, how about if you read the gospel? Our gospel this week will come from the 16th chapter of Luke. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, but how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The temptation <laughs> with this gospel, since I'm preaching this Sunday, is to take all that stuff that happens in verses 1 through 12 and not pay attention to it and just focus on verse 13 and yeah. say, you can't serve God and wealth. You can't have two masters, which, of course, is true. But at the same time, there's an interesting thing that's happening in this gospel that I'm hoping to sort of tease out a little bit. While it is true that the shrewd manager is going around and trying to curry favor with others, at the same time, he is the instrument of mercy with the people with whom he's interacting. Why? Because they've been charged all this money and they owe all this money and suddenly that's not going to happen in quite the same way. We don't know whether he was always overcharging, so he made sure that he got his fair share. We don't know exactly what's happening before we get to this uh, parable as we're hearing it. But he is simultaneously both self-serving and an instrument of mercy. And oftentimes in our lives, we can find it to be so. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see that when Cyrus rebuilds the temple. Mm. Uh, the, the person who is conquered, the people of Israel, turns around and rebuilds their temple for them, something they couldn't do for themselves. And so God's work in the midst of our lives is always more complicated than we envision. And uh, we see the world from where we stand. And so one of the things that I notice in this gospel is that 
This is perhaps the beginning of a spiritual awakening for this manager who has come to see the world differently. But at the same time, it's the beginning of liberation for others. Mm. And so before we throw the baby out with the bathwater about what's been happening, what if, in fact, this is the beginning of one of those reversals that God is undertaking? And it simply is coming in a way that we couldn't imagine, but so much good is happening within it. And what if we, in fact, will come to see that these reversals happen in our lives all the time? I've got a really good story to tell about uh, some work in an orphanage in Haiti that's going to help to tease that out in the sermon. So I don't want to give it all away because you don't want to hear that sermon now. But the ways of God confound us. Uh, at the beginning, we talked about the prayer of the day and, and understanding God's wisdom and how God's wisdom yeah. works in the world. And it is far more complex than the transactional way that we tend to see the world in one another. So stay tuned for Sunday as far as that is concerned. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about, the, both of us as pastors, that this is not one of our favorite readings in the gospel. Hmm. But uh, all the more reason why we can struggle with the word just as much as, as you all do to see exactly where is the gospel bubbling up, the good news bubbling up in the midst of a passage that looks like there's really nothing here for us to see that, that is offering us that good news. Right. Well, in the meantime, I have uh, for our closing prayer today, um, out of an African prayer book, one of my very favorite books from the now late Desmond Tutu. Um, this is a litany of confession from the Cathedral Church of St. George, Cape Town. Lord, we confess our day-to-day -day failure to be human. Lord, we confess that we often fail to love with all we have and are often because we do not fully understand what loving means, often because we are afraid of risking ourselves. Lord, we cut ourselves off from each other and we erect barriers of division. Lord, we confess that by silence and ill-considered word, we have built up walls of prejudice. We confess that by selfishness and lack of sympathy, we have stifled generosity and left little time for others. Holy Spirit, Speak to us. Help us to listen to your word of forgiveness, for we are very deaf. Come fill this moment and free us from our sin. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you're looking for Bible study, we're offering an evening in-person Bible study called Reforesting Faith. Pastor Hetrick is leading a study of the imagery of trees in Scripture and how God uses that imagery and metaphor to communicate God's vision from the tree in the Garden of Genesis to the tree in the city of God in Revelation, whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. Each week, the Bible study meets in Fireside at 6.15 following the Super Wednesday meal. You can also participate via Zoom by using the link found on our website, glcpa.org, on the homepage, or visit our Facebook page for the link. Each week, the link will be the same from now through October 12th. And stay tuned for Sunday. Join us for in-person worship in the sanctuary at 8, 9, or 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. in the evening. You can also listen on the radio at 10.30 on WRSC or watch our live stream at 10.30 or later. Available via the link for worship on our website homepage, glcpa.org. Friends, one other note, which is that 
we will be recording the audio of the Wednesday Bible studies and posting it to our podcast platform where you can listen to it later as well. So if you are used to coming here for podcasts and you wish to hear the audio of the Bible study starting this Wednesday, you'll be able to find it there. This Sunday, we will be rededicating our Grace Organ, which was out over the summer for restoration and has now returned. However we gather in person or in spirit, it's a joy to be with you as we continue to follow the lead of Jesus.